Should you ever set foot outside of the motel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow, now streaming on Paramount Plus, only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan. Good morning. It's Friday, October 1st. You are listening to the College Football Daily. My name is Trey Scott, about to be joined by Chris Singletary, national recruiting analyst for 24-7 Sports. We're not talking recruiting today, though. We're going to check in on the coaching carousel. Chris was a, a linebacker at Michigan, but more importantly for this conversation, has worked on the recruiting staffs at Michigan under Lloyd Carr at Arizona under Rich Rodriguez. He still lives over there in Arizona. I want to pick his brain on USC. I want to pick his brain on UConn. I want to pick his brain on Florida State, Miami. I'm going to throw out to him that it seems that for the coaches like the Ryan Days and the Lincoln Rileys of the world, if you're ever going to go to the NFL, feels like a pretty good time to do so now. Your program's have some weird stuff going on, but more broadly and more importantly, you've got NIL. College coaches have to deal with the transfer portal now. College football does feel in so many respects like the NFL that you might as well go to the NFL if that's what your long-term goal is and uh, don't have to worry about recruiting every hour of the day and all that stuff. So, you know, there were Ohio State fans and Oklahoma fans. I'm not trying to push your coach out. It's just, uh, I think it's, it's something worth discussing here. So Chris is going to give us good stuff on all of that. Let's talk to him. Okay. As promised, Chris Singletary joins us right now. Chris, it's, uh, I guess today uh, when people are listening to this, it's the first day of October, but we, we low key have a lot of stuff to talk about in the college football coaching carousel. Got several openings, several people on the hot seat. I I, want to just run some stuff by you and just see what you feel about how, or how you feel about my, uh, half to bake theories. Do you think James Franklin is the most likely next coach of the USC Trojans? I think he's definitely a front runner. I think he's definitely in the top four, if not top three for sure. You know, what he has done at Penn State and, and getting that program where it is now affords, the, affords him the, the opportunity to be in, a, in consideration most definitely. Well, you've got all the Big Ten experience and you've also got the Pac-12 experience. Could you, if Franklin wanted to leave, I would argue... You know, it's it's easier to win out there and make the playoff. Would you agree with me? Like that 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 would be a job that he. I, I know he loves Penn State, but I I feel like to me that's a, that would be a no brainer if I'm James Franklin. Yeah, I think uh, from a recruiting standpoint, it's easier in terms of just location. I think uh, obviously right now with Oregon being the top team in the in the conference, that's who you would be you know competing against to uh, to be in the playoff. USC is already a household name. It's a brand. It has a great football tradition. And, uh, you know, so I think from that standpoint, all that plays into into the equation. And I think the style of play that he's brought to Penn State with the talent level that he could get at, at, at USC would definitely uh, it'd be, a, be an interesting mix to bring some success and some, some, you know, some juice to the program. What's the quality of life like in L.A.? I don't know if you've ever lived there, but you live on the – you live in Arizona. I don't. I, I uh, so, see the coaches so, don't want to bring their families to LA. And I know James Franklin's a big family guy. Is that ever a legitimate drawback? Yeah, I mean the biggest thing is cost of living because it's so expensive, 
and then being able to get the assistant coaches that you want, again, cost of living. But there are things to do. There are places that you can live to get the family environment that you may want, as opposed to if you're coming from a smaller town. That's going to be different. But then you also have more exposure to things from a growth standpoint and things, you know, if you're an outgoing person and an outgoing family that you have at your disposal. But the biggest thing is always the cost of living and, and the taxes and things like that. So to be able to have the, the right compensation to not only live, but to be able to save money and to do things that you want to do for your family outside of outside of football. And so not necessarily for the head coach, but more so the assistant coaches. So to be able to get the right you know, coaching staff to support you, the right strength and conditioning, and even more so to get the right people in the support position, you know, in the recruiting and the, the, you know, the player development, you know, those are the people that you got to be able to have to sustain at a high level nowadays because so much has changed and evolved in college football just in the last year and a half. Yeah, that's interesting because you've got this big staff and you can't ask them to live 90 minutes away when you want them in the office all the time and on campus all the time. So you, they have to live close, but then that's obviously expensive in Los Angeles. Right. The one thing about USC, it does have resources, financial resources. It's just a matter you know, implementing the money in the right ways that makes sense to get the, you know, to get the outcome that you want and the production that you want. There are two really great head coaches, the best in the business, Ryan Day and Lincoln Riley. This is me saying this isn't you saying this. And I've said this about Lincoln Riley for like four years in a row and people are just rolling their eyes now. I think they would be great NFL head coaches seeing what Matt Rule is doing at the Panthers. I think they could do exactly that. And I think right now the college climate is getting tough for some of these guys with the, like if you can be an NFL head coach, I don't know why in some ways you wouldn't go do that right now because the college recruiting, it's never been more around the clock. You've got transfer portals, so you're having to re-recruit your players every year, and now you've got name, image, likeness. And then when I look at Ryan Day, it, you know he had a pretty easy first year and a half outside of the the pandemic, and and now he's got defensive coordinator issues. And then Lincoln Riley, he's got you know fans booing his quarterback, and it's just this seems like a lot of work for these guys. Are you sensing not just those two, Chris, but are you hearing from college coaches who are like, man, this is this is not what it used to be? Oh, it's definitely not what it used to be, um, you know, two things, the transfer portal, which basically made college football have a free agency like the NFL, and then NIL, which made college football, <laughs> again, like the NFL, where players are now able to make money off the field. And so it's just a matter of what do you have from a staff and an infrastructure standpoint to be able to sustain and stay not only in the game, but ahead of the game in those two, uh, two aspects. Do you have a support staff? It has a recruiting wherewithal to have a transfer portal department where you have staff of maybe three to four people that are managing the transfer portal. Not only the film, but why is this young man in the portal? Is it just because playing time? Is it homesick? Is it off the field issues? You know, was there a coaching change and did the scheme change? So understanding all of that and then putting that information and data together to now have that at the disposal of the coaching staff when they're looking at guys at a certain position that they have need to fill the gap. And then when you look at the NIL, it's, you know, when a kid comes on a, an unofficial or official visit, and depending on who he is and high profile he is and what his marketability is like off the field, you're not only having a conversation about academics and about football and scheme and schematics and development, you know, for him to want to play on the next level, but it's also what are you going to be able to do to help 
generate revenue and build his brand while he's at that university. So now you're also giving a marketing pitch. And so just understanding that, you know, some of the blue blood programs are already, they have, you know, that aspect already covered. They already have brands that they, they're associated with that might be at the disposal and some places don't. So it's just all different. And then what are the expectations of that person and family in terms of being able to generate, you know, revenue off the field? And then how do you manage that? I always thought, how do you manage that in the locker room with, with the rest of the guys that might not be that marketable? So that's the interesting take that I'm sure college coaches are trying to figure out. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think that's something to watch. You heard it. You heard it here first. Um, no, you really didn't. But um, that's something to watch. You and I were on the phone. I know you don't want to like talk about firings and buyouts and stuff, but I don't think no. Miami can afford nine million or whatever. And I don't think Florida State. That'd be dumb to make a move right now. How do you though, when you look at Florida State and Miami, and maybe if Miami did make a move. Your my words, not yours. You know, go get Mario Cristobal, bring him back home, um, give him a massive raise, and, and see if Phil Knight uh, will counter you. But what do you do, Chris, when you're this program who can't afford to make a coaching change, but you a head coaching change, but you have to do something to regenerate some momentum? Like if you're Florida State, like let's let's say that you're Mike Norvell, you're zero and four, you have a great recruiting class that you have to hold on to. You have to give mm-hmm. them some sort of proof of concept. You brought a lot of your guys over from Memphis. I don't know if it's working. What are you doing? It's like self-scouting. You have to self-scout your staff and see where is deficiency at and where do you need to, you know, either have a conversation to change it within the staff or is it the scheme and you just don't have players to fit the scheme. So now you have to tailor what you normally would do to fit the players that you have to be able to get the production you want. And then ultimately, from a long game perspective, you have to look at, you know, the trajectory of the staff offensively and defensively to find out what's going to fit and what do you need to do to make, you know, the necessary changes, not only for, you know, yourself as a head coach, but for the staff and to be able to sustain and, and, and get back in a winning track, you know, find out what the players do well. I mean, what what is it that's missing? And I'm not saying you give the players and be, do everything that they want to do, but you have to have a meeting in the middle to be able to get them to play at a high level. And first and foremost is when you're looking at the film, are they playing with great effort? You know, and are the things that we're missing on just things that we can fix through teaching? Because if they're not playing with great effort and with a sense of urgency, then that's that's the issue you have to fix within the program from a culture standpoint. Because there, you got some lack of buy-in. And so you don't want guys that aren't buying in and just going through the motions. It's just tough. I mean, they, they already did the transfer portal thing. So you've got, you got a self scout, you've got maybe make some staff changes, you know, change up your roster. Oh, UConn. Tell me what, tell me what you think UConn should do here. Probably don't have the best pool of candidates to choose from, but you can get sort of creative here. I think uh, a couple of things you have to be, you have to find somebody that is a dynamic recruiter. And I'm not saying dynamic in the point where they have a name that you've heard where they've recruited a bunch of guys, but when you meet them and they walk in the room, you're like, he's going to gather and, and gain everyone's attention, whether it's a kid, a coach, a parent, the advisor, who also has some ties maybe to the Southeast, whether it's, you know, in the Carolinas, the Florida, uh, the Georgias, because that's where you're going to have to go get your skill guys. I also think they need to really probably take a hard look at trying to, you know, becoming a member of the AAC again. Because I think, too, when you look at BYU now leaving and not being independent anymore, you know, even though Notre Dame's independent, I mean, it's Notre Dame. You have to have some conference affiliation because you have to sell something to the kids when you're recruiting them. 
you know, playing a national schedule is great, but I want to be able to, you know, win a conference championship. I want to be able to have a ball tie-in. So I think those are some things that they need to look at and try to address as well. And then I think, you know, with the coaching part of it, you also have to find someone that has the ability to put a staff together that not only are really, really good recruiters, but you're going to have to develop talent. And you're going to have to be, I think, kind of unique in what you're doing from a scheme perspective, in particular on on the offensive side, because you're not just going to line up and play you know, pro-style multiple offense football. You might have to open it up a little bit, do some zone read, RPO, you know. They had a, you know, the freshman quarterback played this week against Wyoming, and they only ended up losing to Wyoming by two. But he did, you know, some things that you were like, okay, you might have something with him in particular being able to use his skill set going forward. Would you even go, like, do you think the new UConn coach is someone I've heard of? You know what I mean? Are they just going to, do you think it's some sort of pass game coordinator from a school? Is it a big name at all? I don't think it needs to be a name, big name. I think it needs to be the right name. I think more than anything, you, you need to hire somebody that not that just doesn't want to be a head coach, but is a, wants to be the head coach at UConn and not trying to use it necessarily as a stepping stone. Not saying that they don't want to win and move on, but somebody that is really invested in trying to, you know, fix the program as opposed to somebody saying, man, I'm going to try going here and win two or three years or four years and then be out of here. Do you think Joe Moorhead, former Fordham coach, uh, he could Oregon OC he now. Could. He's would having, he? You know, would he you advise him Would you say, yeah, Joe? That's you. That's a you can you can retire there. I think first and foremost with Joe would be how much does he want to be a head coach? Again? Like in, because at his point in his career, what's his end game? And then does he feel that from an offensive standpoint, and then being able to recruit, can he get the players he wants to be able to be successful? And then what are they going to do from an infrastructure standpoint? What are they missing? Is it more personnel and personnel? Is it a better pool to get, you know, the type of coaches that they want to get off the field. Like, you want to know, too, what's their commitment to football? You know, because we know UConn's a basketball school. You know, women's and men's basketball run UConn. But how much are you guys invested in really trying to have a competitive and successful football program? I think not necessarily a big name. You might want to maybe have somebody that has NFL ties, that's been, a, you know, a successful NFL assistant that really has the pedigree and the charisma and the development of players to be the head coach. I just think, you know, from a Joe Moorhead perspective, I don't know if I would tell him to take that job unless he just was really wanting to be a head coach. I have one more question for you. I'm a big Matt Campbell fan. I love Matt Campbell. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you know this, Chris, my first job ever out of college was covering Iowa State when Paul Rose was there. Um, Really? Yeah, I've seen that program really. You hung out in Ames for a little bit. I hung out in Ames. Yeah. Um, you know, hung out in the 12, uh, sub 12 degree temps. I was talking to somebody about this and they were like, oh, did Matt Campbell miss his window? Cause you know, the Cyclones are two and two, but in the coach, like in the AD community, that's just, to me, that's preposterous. I mean, they could go five and seven this year. He'd still get a good job. I mean, it's Matt Campbell. The, the work he's done the last six years there speaks for itself. Am I right? I mean, he's definitely made Iowa State relevant and competitive. The consistency that he's had over recent years has been good in terms of the uptick in, in, in the program and in their play and, and, the, and the significant wins that they've had. And so, you know, this year could be an outlier depending on how they finish. I don't know if he will be the name that he was two years ago. Okay, wow. Depending on how they finish, but it's still early. I mean, two and two is still a lot of football left to be played. I mean, wow, there's, there, okay. you know, there, there, there's still a lot of things that left to be determined. So I wouldn't say that, you know, his window is uh, – is, is, is past. I would not say that at all. I think where he's done it at, the process that, that he's taken to get there, I don't think uh, ADs would look past that. I would hope not. I think he'd still be a home run at, at any school who wants to hire him if it makes sense from a from a 
geography recruiting footprint standpoint. All right, Chris Singleton, no we'll get you out of here. We appreciate you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Have fun. Okay, we appreciate Chris joining us. I hope everybody has a great weekend of college football. Week five, we made our picks yesterday, of course, with Brian McFadden and uh, hoping to go 3-0. and Don't think I will. I feel like I have no good read for this week's games. Last week, I was like, yeah, I woke up on Saturday and I said, I'm, gonna, I'm going 3-0 and today on the College Football Daily as far as our picks go. I don't think that's going to happen tomorrow. But we'll be back on Monday for our winners and losers of week five, and then we'll hit the ground running the rest of the week for week six, which could be the best week yet of what has been a tremendous and joyful college football season. For our producer, Lance Glenn, I'm Trey Scott. Talk to y'all soon. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. You expected someone else? So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball. And baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does. <laughs> Nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.